Hi, I'm Terrell Turner, the host of the Finance and Accounting Show. And today we're talking about a topic that is very, very important to a lot of accounting firms, whether it's law firms, whether it's you know finance firms, and that is how do you manage the risk that is involved with how you run your business? Because you know, one of the things that we hear a lot talked about is if your law firm is malpractice, or if you're in a finance and accounting, you hear that for professional insurance, liability insurance, ENOs. And as we start to evolve more and more in our businesses and we start using more and more technology and third-party apps, cybersecurity becomes an even bigger topic. So we're going to dive into those topics today. So stay tuned for today's episode. So without further ado, I want to bring on my guest, Jack Walls. Welcome to the show. Hey, Terrell. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, it's my pleasure. And the yeah, day is going great. Um, now, I know before we start, you know, we hopped on and we had some email correspondence. I know um, today's been a kind of a busy day for you. So how have things been going today? <laughs> Just uh, one fire drill to the next, but that's a good thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> You know, one of the things that I think about, like, you know, accounting and finance professionals, just, as well as like legal professionals understand, you know, about putting out fires. But whenever I'm talking to someone where their business is related to risk and protect I'm like, you know, the fires you must put out probably seem a bit more extreme than the fires we have to put out. Well, like, uh, not necessarily because your fires also my fires. So it, uh, it, it just really depends and uh, yeah I mean I'm pretty excited to talk about uh, risk management as a whole it's uh, you know that's there's, there's various parts to managing the risk of your business and various uh, tools tactics solutions uh, products that you can uh, that you can use but uh, you know when my when my clients are faced with a uh, with a difficult situation it's uh, it's all it's all hands on deck on deck um, and um, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm excited to share more about that so Absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm looking forward to this conversation because, I mean, even as, we, you know, we've done over 530 different interviews and a lot of times when talking to business owners, you know, when you ask them about, you know, what are some of your top concerns or things that, you know, they talk about things like, you know, marketing, getting clients and stuff like that. And what I realize is, you know, many don't realize the amount of risk that is unaddressed in their business. So I'm super excited to talk about that in this conversation. But before we jump into the details, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you found yourself, you know, protecting people from the risk that they may or may not be thinking about? Yeah, so I, I operate in the insurance industry. I'm an insurance broker and agent and specialize in uh, professional liability and cyber liability uh, insurance. Uh, Predominantly for accounting, uh, accounting firms, law firms, uh, bookkeepers, and so forth. And uh, I, I started my uh, my career uh, a while back, um, and really worked for an insurance company for um, for good uh, fifteen. Uh, 
almost 15 years before I kind of moved onto the insurance agency uh, side. So through, you know, the insurance, through underwriting uh, risk, you know, kind of got to talk to clients, understand, uh, dig into their uh, business practices. And then we, we obviously collaborated with the claims department uh, uh, quite extensively to really try to, you know, the problematic areas uh, address what's kind of going on and then provide some value back to the clients in terms of like, hey, what are the best practices we can do? This, these are some of the things that you can mitigate or, uh, or, reduce, uh, or reduce your risk. And uh, yeah, so from a, um, so, so the background has kind of led me uh, down this path where uh, now I advise uh, my clients uh, directly in terms of like, okay, well, what do you do from an insurance uh, application perspective? But if you really take a step back, it's, you got to think about risk management as a whole. The insurance piece is just, you're transferring the risk. That's one tool that you have at your disposal, but you really have to think about risk management as a whole and how can you mitigate uh, and, uh, and, and protect your business and protect uh, you know the livelihood that you've kind of uh, built uh, uh, built up over a period of time. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, and I think that's a very, you know, interesting perspective to, to, to talk about because, you know, one of the things that I ran into is even in asking when I started my firm of asking people like, hey, I'm looking for, you know, insurance and any recommendations. And a lot of times people would say, hey, yeah, I, you know, you can call this person. They're really good. And I would ask, OK, what makes them good? Because yeah. I had like no idea how to pick a good one. I mean, or I was like, how do you determine like what's the difference between like, you know, a good professional liability package and a, and then, you know, and one that's mediocre or not so good. So, you know, as you started to, you know, get into this, you know, with, with insurance and getting into professional liability, did you find that, you know, there's a wide variety of like the different types of things that are protected under it? Or do most policies tend to look the same? I mean, it, it, it depends. So when we're talking about professional liability, it's a relatively standardized uh, product in terms of the threats that that uh, product ex addresses. And really all it does, it, uh, it protects you in the event uh, that you have committed or alleged have committed uh, a wrongful act, right? Uh, so if you mess something up, your, your client suffers a financial loss as a result of that negligent act, um, they will sue you or they will look to you to uh, make them whole again. And that's where the policy kind of kicks in. And so, so that, that product really has two kind of key policy benefits. One is a payment for what's settled or what's negotiated between you as a defendant and uh, the client who's the uh, plaintiff, and then the payment of any uh, claims expenses. So... So and, and and this product has been in existence for for decades, and it's it it has changed. There's some bells and whistles. So when, when I work with uh, uh, with those clients, we kind of look at okay, is the coverage appropriate? Is are there any bells and whistles that are missing? Um, but really, also, what's the scope of services that you provide uh, to your clients, and do you have the right policy in place? You know, for most law firms, um, they will have a lawyer's professional liability policy, and that's in terms of the scope of services that are covered, that's perfectly uh, fine. Uh, for accounting firms, it can be a little more complicated uh, because there's varying, so uh, a, a couple of different solutions available. So you really want to be specific about what does the definition of professional services say that uh, that you're covered for. Or not. So if you if you kind of equate it to your engagements with your clients, it's okay, what are you hired to do by your clients? What, what, what are you hired to do and what are you not hired to do? And, and so in a similar kind of way, uh, that's how the insurance uh, policy reads. Um, but when I, when I speak to you know, 
uh, a policy evaluation is first and foremost making sure that the pricing is right. Pricing uh, premium drives a lot of the decision making, but then you can also find solutions where solutions that are tailored to a particular group. And so what I mean by that is, for example, defense firms, uh, defense law firms, uh, they may, um, there's, there's a program out there that's sponsored by the, uh, the DRI, the Defense Research Institute. And so they specialize in writing defense firms. And so because they've got a, a pretty decent market share of that, they can provi provide some more pr uh, preferred rates and provide broader coverage uh, too. So you try to find, okay, who's the client, understand, uh, understand their uh, kind of requirements, understand their risk profile, and then match them, see what the coverage says, and then match them with, uh, uh, with, the, right, uh, with the right solution. And um, yeah, and, of, and, and often that also means marketing uh, the application uh, to ensure that the, uh, the deal or the, uh, the terms are reflective of the current market conditions. Now, I mean, I guess with so many things changing now and, you know, how accountants or how, you know, bookkeepers are approaching their business, you know, how often, you know, have you seen people, you know, actually go through and do the research to say, hey, does the professional liability insurance I have now actually match the way that I'm approaching my business? Yeah. So one of the challenges i guess from from the policy from the policyholders perspective is you often also rely on the, your agent or your broker and you so so you're relying on them to kind of go through the marketing uh, exercise and while there's a value in continuity and coverage with the same carrier so you don't want to be seen as switching carrier year in year out for you know $50 or $100 savings that's that's almost counterproductive because the next uh, insurer who's going to kind of look at that they're like okay well we don't want to you know, we, 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 it makes it less competitive. You really want to have the insurer earn the right to win their business and really sharpen their pencils. So, um, so, so big, a big role that the agent or broker plays is making sure that they market and shop the, uh, the application uh, around. And then they provide you with that feedback and then jointly you kind of make that decision on, okay, these are the different options. This is the cheapest. This is the uh, most expensive. Blah blah blah. You kind of go through. Uh, you, the the, the broker is supposed to take more of an advisory kind of role. And so, a big question for you is: Okay, is my is my broker doing that? Are they kind of delivering that, or are they just on autopilot? Do they do they really care about me, or are they just kind of pushing it through a system and say, "Hey, here's your option. You know, kind of go again." And in some cases, that's not necessarily a bad thing, where if it's already price competitive, but you want to make sure that they that that they communicate with you and they they share and they provide you with that uh, with that feedback. Gotcha. Okay, that, that that makes sense because one of the things that I've seen from um, quite a bit of uh, you know firm owners where they switch from let's say they started off doing bookkeeping now they say hey we've added doing you know tax returns or now we've added doing tax strategy and it's just like from a from an outside looking in perspective, it's like the dynamic of how much your clients are relying on your advice changes when you go from doing basic bookkeeping to tax strategy. I'm like that. There's a different level of reliance. To me, it just seems like there's probably a different level of risk. But I guess do would a insurance company look at that and say, hey, you're in a different risk profile now? Yeah, it's a, a very perceptive, you know, in terms of like, if, if you think about the, 
the, the, the bookkeeping practice area that tends to be categorized uh, lower risk compared to you know public audit work, for example, or securities work, <laughs> clearly. Um, so insurers, they do take a look at that and they do take a look at your risk profile. And that is one uh, metric uh, or one factor that influences one, whether they want to offer insurance to you and then two, what that uh, that premium uh, that premium looks like. So um, where it gets, if you're transitioning from a bookkeeping practice, and this is one of the uh, issues that we've seen is, you know, in some cases, those policies kind of uh, going back to the definition of professional services will only define the scope of services that you're covered for as bookkeeping full stop. It doesn't provide you for coverage for tax services or accounting or consulting, et cetera, et cetera. So you want to just be, um, and the other approach that insurers say, uh, take, um, <clears throat> or a different set of insurers take is they say, Hey, what do you, what do you do? I'm a bookkeeper. Okay. Well, bookkeeping falls under the accounting industry grouping. So the definition of professional services means anything accounting related, old <laughs> agent, uh, etc etc and it doesn't really whether you provide those uh, services in those capacities or not it doesn't really matter but what they do at renewal they'll review your risk profile and so that could impact the pricing but you're automatically covered for those services so that's 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 one kind of pitfall that some bookkeepers find themselves in it's like hey i, you know, I want to expand my practice at some stage i want to expand my product shelf does the scope of services that i provide match what I'm covered for under the uh, insurance policy. You know, I think that's a really good point because I, you know, from just conversations I've had with, you know, fellow firm owners is I don't know if a lot of them are actually thinking about that as they're, you know, pivoting their business, especially when we went from a lot of firms started saying, oh, you know, I, I'll offer CFO services. And it's just like, well, does that change your, you know, your risk profile? And are you actually covered still? Like, is your policy, does it still cover you for this new change that you're making? So thanks for, thanks for pointing that out. Um, now, yeah. And, and, you know, that, that's just a, from, from the professional ability piece, that is one of the takeaways uh, for the audience is to say, hey, what are the scope of services I'm providing to my clients? And does that match with what's, uh, what's defined under the insurance policy, under the professional ability policy? <laughs> And you know, if, you have a, if 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 you're listening, you know, at renewal or when you have a moment, you know, just just look at your policy and look for under the definition section and say definitions. Okay, professional services means dot dot dot. Okay, does it is it pretty broad or is it pretty restricted? And if even if it's restricted, it's fine as long as it falls your the scope of services you provide fall under that definition. Mm -hmm. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Now, one of the questions that um, someone asked me and I was like, you know, this is a good, a good question that I don't have the answer to. So, um, and it was, you know, they were starting a bookkeeping business. Well, because I have a bookkeeping business, I'm not really producing financials that are being relied on by the public is, do I really need professional liability if I'm just doing a bookkeeping business? And I guess when someone asks that question, how do you kind of think about that question? Well, by default, I'll always recommend uh, securing a, uh, a uh, an insurance uh, solution. Um, but really, what you want to think about is, okay, well, what's the value that the potential um, that the potential insurance solution can provide uh, to you, and what are you doing with your business, and how are you kind of building it, uh, building it up, right? And so you, you're building up this uh, uh, this business, this practice, and what is it? What is it worth to you, right? And what is the, the adverse 
the, the, the downside of maybe committing an error and paying or having that stress uh, associated with uh, with trying to resolve it versus the premium that you pay um, uh, for an insurance policy. So you've got to kind of think about, okay, what are you looking to protect? You'll know your risk better than uh, than anyone else, but can you really control every single scenario, every single uh, uh, risk point that could potentially lead uh, to a claim? So it's in, 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 a, in a way it can be a, a trade-off, but you know, the, the really the understated benefit of an insurance uh, uh, policy or of a professional liability policy is the claims handling support. Because if you find yourself in a difficult situation where a client is threatening to sue you or is suing you, you know, what do you do? It's, it's not just, hey, I've got to pay five grand, 10 grand, 100 grand to kind of get that uh, to, to make them whole again. But it's also, okay, where do I start? Who's the lawyer that I? Uh, which 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 lawyer is going to represent me? You know the the allegations are frivolous. Uh, how do I defend myself? The the emotional stress and then that ripple effect that that has on the rest of your business can be pretty uh, can be pretty dramatic. So at least having someone in, uh, in your corner who's going to fight for you and defend you and help you resolve it and really take the lead on that is 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 is, is almost invaluable. Hmm. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that because, you know, one of the things that I, I tell people a lot of times when you when you have a accounting firm, bookkeeping firm or a CFO firm or you have a law firm, your reputation is a huge part of your marketing. I mean, if you don't have a good reputation, um, your chances of winning new business drops dramatically. <laughs> Significantly, and so think about you already have you already face sales pressures on a day-to-day uh, basis. You feel it face pressures by your clients, and then when that gets elevated uh, because of a potential incident or some other adverse effect that you're dealing with, that uh, you know your, the insurance claims department can deal with, that has ripple effect. And so you know you won't be able to spend as much time serving your clients because you're being dragged into trying to defend yourself or trying to figure out how to navigate this uh, this particular uh, allegation. So. It's and and then you know, like you said, your reputation. If you if you don't respond appropriately or quickly to your clients or serve them in the as best as you can, then that has a ripple effect on uh, on, on on driving sales and winning new business. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome. Well, one of the areas that is becoming a a, a hotter an even hotter topic for a lot of firms is, you know, as they start using and implementing more technology and, and, and really looking at kind of that cybersecurity. Now, I, I've heard of some, you know, some professional liabilities adding a cybersecurity certification. Um, so can you talk a little bit about what you've seen and the trends in the cybersecurity space? Yeah. And then really the best way to, <clears throat> the best way to uh, address uh, cyber insurance and cyber risk or cyber threats is to kind of think back to 10 years ago where the main threat that a business faced was a data breach or a hacking event and so as a result of that loss of information that business incurred expenses such as credit monitoring notification uh it forensic uh, expenses it could be a business interruption component etc etc and so what businesses did uh, on a very high level, uh, from a very high level perspective to identify or assess their uh, risk profile is they'd say, um, what industry do you operate in? Is it an industry with a, uh, with a big target on its back? So think financial services or healthcare, et cetera. And what's the information that I can uh, or, or access or have, uh, or have access to? So is it 
credit cards, social security numbers, uh, sensitive information, confidential information, names, address, blah, 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 blah. And how much of it do I have, right? And so <clears throat> if you, if, so fast forward to you know, a couple of years ago, those threats have now evolved and threats such as ransomware, phishing, wire transfer fraud have really become uh, popular among cyber criminals. And if you really think about what those threats represent, ransomware, for example, it's an operational risk. It locks your system, your hardware, it renders you inoperable. You can't deal with your partners, with your clients, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, and if you think about that operational risk, the impact that it has on who is at risk or who is a, an attractive target by the cyber criminals, it really opens up the the, uh, the the market for cyber criminals because it doesn't really matter whether the information that you have access to or possess is sensitive. If you can't deal with your with your clients or serve your clients, you've got a problem, right? You're handcuffed. Uh, and so, so from it, it uh, the cyber um, cyber the cyber market has changed from just mainly large businesses being a threat or vulnerable to uh, or an attractive target to now a small business being uh, an, an attractive target to cyber criminals. And so what you were kind of talking about in terms of the endorsement that, uh, hey, here's, hey, let's bundle your E&O or your professional liability with some cyber coverage, you know, that that started maybe five, five plus years ago. And, and really at that stage, if you think about it in terms of the threats, small businesses didn't face that those threats weren't as significant or as material as they are today. So what insurers did is like, hey, small uh, small business, small law firm saying, well, I'd like some cyber insurance. I don't really think I need it. I'm not really vulnerable. So insurers would just kind of chuck it in uh, as a quote unquote coverage enhancement. So they would provide you that protection in the event of a data breach or a hacking, right? Um, <clears throat> what's happened today, that coverage is completely outdated. So it doesn't cover you for ransomware or wire transfer fraud or phishing. Um, so you have to really think, so from a, from a policyholder's perspective, you're thinking, okay, well, I'm managing, uh, I'm, I'm transferring my risk, I'm managing my risk, I've got my professional liability policy and I've got this rider endorsement to kind of protect me for cyber uh, for cyber risk. In, when in reality, you're only protected for a very small part of, uh, of, uh, of the risk. And really the, uh, how I, the analogy that I use is almost like buying, with the endorsement. So in general, most endorsements equals bad or uh, equals bad that they, they offer inadequate coverage. Not always, but uh, in general, that's uh, that's the case. So it's almost like buying a homeowner's insur insurance policy that only covers you for the uh, the basement. It doesn't cover you for the ground floor, for the for the, for the second floor, for your roof, for your, for your garage. But it still says cyber on top of it, right? And so you think, okay, I'm covered for cyber risk when in, in reality, it's only a small, small portion of that so so that's that's where we are with the cyber insurance market today is, is the range of insurance solutions is incredibly varied and you have to be extremely critical about what type of solution you want to elect for your business so i mean speaking of that i mean i think you know cybersecurity is one of those areas that probably your most lawyers most accountants and bookkeepers they don't really understand, you know, hey, cybersecurity to the depth. So it's like, how can they navigate that of, you know, making sure that they get the right type of cybersecurity coverage? I mean, is there, there any kind of rules of thumb or any recommendations you have for people on that? 
Yeah, so there's, <clears throat> in terms of the actual coverage part, um, there's sort of three indicators that you can kind of look at in your insurance solution or insurance solutions that are presented to you that uh, can act as, uh, to tell you whether it's a good or bad uh, solution or an inadequate solution. It's really, is ransomware covered? That's another, that's the first thing. Is wire transfer fraud uh, covered? Um, uh, and is phishing or social engineering fraud uh, covered? Those, and especially the, the phishing or social engineering fraud, um, those tend to be, that is the one coverage part that insurers are looking at right now that they're like, hey, this, this exposure is really broad. Um, we need to kind of rein it in. So, and so insurers, cyber insurers are actively trying to rein in that, uh, that social engineering fraud coverage. Uh, so you want to make sure if, at, within your, <clears throat> that your solution represents those, uh, those three coverage parts. Gotcha, gotcha. And I guess, you know, to get a uh, clearer understanding, when you say ransomware, how would you define, like, what is ransomware? So there's two parts to it. There's the extortion uh, part of it. Someone trying to extort you for uh, for money, and so they uh, they hold your system hostage. But then there's also uh, malware or a virus that locks your system, and basically a screen goes black, and it says, hey, send X amount of Bitcoin to, uh, to this wallet. Right, uh, and then we'll give you the decryption key, and you can be on your way. So it's it's also the the payment of that ransom that these policies should uh, cover. Okay, awesome, awesome. And then when you talk about social engineering, um, can you talk a little bit, explain a little bit more about what that is or what that involves? Yeah. <clears throat> so social engineering fraud is, it, it, and and the term again, the terms are used a little interchangeably, and they uh, they vary a little, but. Think of it as deceptive communication where the cyber criminal tries to trick you into taking a certain action. Okay. And so those, those actions can represent a couple of different things. Um, firstly, it could be they try to get you to click on a, on a file that then downloads a virus onto, mm -hmm. your, uh, uh, onto your computer uh, or into your system. <clears throat> they, can, they can try to get you to open a link that asks for your login credentials. So a fake bank account, uh, a fake uh, bank website and says, hey, log in here, you've got a security notification and you try to put in those login credentials and you keep on failing and they, they've got your login credential, credentials. Um, there's, they can try to trick you into wiring money to the wrong uh, account um, and say, hey, you know, they intercept communication between you and whoever. It's like, oh, by the way, how was, it, how was weekend camping uh, and and it could be a legitimate transaction. They say, by the way, we've opened a new bank account, a new bank account, please uh, send the money here. And then, uh, and then the fourth thing is they can try to trick you into amending bank account information in the accounts payable system. So think of it like a payroll system or something. Mm -hmm. uh, something like that. Those are the okay. four main uh, kind of outcomes or cyber security incidents uh, uh, from, that stem from a phishing, uh, from a phishing attack. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. No, that makes sense, and and those are ones that you know. Unfortunately, we've seen those increase more and more, and 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 it doesn't seem like there's that's gonna slow down. So uh, yeah, that's definitely a growing, growing risk area. It is a growing risk area, and so if you kind of th and again, if you kind of step back and think about, hey, what's what's my risk management strategy, right? Uh, the insurance piece is one part of it, but as a small business, you have to make sure that you can address uh, or, or manage those from a best practices perspective. 
So, you know, 12 months ago, you could I could have gone to an insurer and said, hey, uh, you know, this client wants an insurance policy. They say, hey, what's the name and address? Here you go. That those those days have gone. Um, the cyber insurance have really taken it on the chin, and uh, most of their portfolios are unprofitable. So, really, what that means is that they're increasing their rates. That's that's the easy part. So they're jacking up the premiums. Um, they're trying to address uh, the different coverage parts in, to, in terms of restricting coverage. So social engineering fraud is one thing that they're eyeing. But then they're also asking more best practices questions. So basically increasing businesses' cyber risk uh, hygiene. Um, and, and the latter part is actually, that's not a bad thing. Because if you think about it, if, 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 our, if on an aggregated basis, businesses make it more difficult for cyber criminals uh, to kind of penetrate a system or steal, uh, intercept communication or steal funds, then it makes it more expensive for them to operate, right? So, okay. so that, uh, that has, a, uh, has a positive uh, long-term uh, effect. But it's, it's, it's that best practices piece, which you actually can't avoid as a small business. You have to pay some attention and you have to make sure that, that that's an ongoing initiative for your, uh, for your business. So, you know, education is a big part of it um, with social engineering fraud or phishing. If you know that, hey, if I, if I get a sketchy email and someone asks me to wire some money, well, you know, if you know that threat exists, then you might think twice about it and you might, you should really, but you, you call the request and say, hey, I got this email from you. You know, is that legit? Can you just confirm that? If they say yes, then you go for it. If, uh, if no, then you know you, you, you're being targeted. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. You know, that's one of those things that I remember when working at a couple of Fortune 500 companies where, you know, every so often they, the IT team would run a test on those things of just send out an email like that. And it was always shocking to see the percentage of people that actually click the link when they got the email to where it's just yep. like, oh my gosh, like, you know, if, 55% of the people who got that email clicked on it like, oh my gosh, we are like in trouble if this was real. Yeah, I know. And it's, uh, I mean, you also got to give uh, credit to the cyber criminals because they they identify, I mean, it's not them, someone who's sitting and sending an email. I mean, they've got actual, I mean, it's almost like a sales funnel and they know which uh, which uh, uh, which buttons to uh, push. You know, if, if they say, hey, here's your, Here's your receipt for your Norton antivirus that cost five hundred dollars. That open this invoice, and you're like five hundred bucks. It costs a hundred. That's ridiculous. It's like they try to create a reaction out of you, right? And you're like, that, that, that is not on. What does this say? And then you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. you got to, you got to, you got to something, right? Or if they intercept communication between you and uh, and legitimate communication and insert themselves into these cyber criminals are extremely patient. You know, they they may just say. Hey, why the money here? And so you just got to be careful. And uh, so the education piece is one thing of it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I get it with those simulation tests. It's still like the metrics should be, you'd, you'd think we'd think about it a little better. But if you slow it down, you know, of course, that's a sketchy email. But if, if, if you're doing so many things, you're trying to multitask, you've got so many devices that, you, uh, that you're trying to yeah. access information on, these things, they just, they slip by. And it's, yeah. it's, it's to our detriment, really. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, speaking of that kind of that best practices, you know, it, it you know, at what size of a, a company do you tend to see like, hey, companies that are usually larger than X 
tend to be good about having some of these best practices in place, but companies smaller than X, they need some room for improvement on these best practices. Yeah, to be honest, it's not a function of size. Uh, and if you think about the, the largest cyber uh, losses uh, that the insurance market has, uh, ha has dealt with, it's Fortune 500 companies, companies with ample resources dedicated to uh, IT infrastructure. So often, you know, size isn't necessarily a function. Uh, it's, it's almost a, it, it, you know, how committed are you to best practices and how, and how does that filter from the top, uh, top down? You know, cyber best practices is an ongoing initiative. And so you have to, you know, when you start your, if, if you're a startup bookkeeper or a startup lawyer, I'm not saying you have to implement every single thing, but you have to continue to think about it, right? If you know that insurers and, and the applicant, the insurance application actually offers a pretty good sort of roadmap uh, to that extent in the sense that they'll ask questions. And the only reason why they're asking those questions is because they've identified correlations in their portfolio that have led to high, uh, higher, a higher likelihood of a loss. So, you know, use those insights. And if they say, okay, you know, the backup of information, uh, if you don't backup of information, you're, Okay, well, why are they asking that? It doesn't prevent a cyber attack, but in the event that you are under attack uh, or suffer a cybersecurity incident, it gives you options and you can access that information. Uh, it can get you up and running uh, much quicker. So if you don't do that, I'm not saying that's fine, but put it on your initiative list, right? Put it on the to-do list. It's like something that you need to address at some stage in the future. So it, it's, and, and, and these, and these these requirements or these best practice requirements, they they will continue to change. So it's not something I can just say, okay, I've, I've checked the box and I'm I'm done for the next uh, ten years. That's that's just not going to happen, right? So making sure that you're kind of in tune with it and just having this uh, having setting the tone from the top down is is really important. Awesome, awesome. You know, and I think that 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 is one thing that I, I've seen from. You know the different companies that I work for is is that the companies that tend to really have the discussions about it and make it part of the culture, people seem to be a little bit more aware of like you know like the phishing emails and and like talking to, to the head of you know data security or IT. So like those companies tend to have a better performance when they run those tests because they are actually talking about it. Yeah, general awareness and education <clears throat> is a big part of, it's not the only part, but it is a big contributor of mitigating uh, cyber risks. So if you know that, and, and you know, I always advise my, like, just state, you know, if, if you see an article in the press that says, hey, so-and-so has been suffered a vulnerability, you know, maybe pay a little more attention to it than you had been in the, uh, had in the past. Just like, oh, it's like a phishing attack. Okay, well, I don't know what phishing means. Okay, well, let, let me, uh, you know, let me understand that. And uh, just just making sure, and then you know, be open if it's a you know, be open about it. And mention it to your partners. It's like uh, in, in in your weekly or or, or monthly meetings. Uh, and say, hey, do we you know do we have cyber insurance? Does cyber insurance cover uh, uh, a ransomware or wire transfer fraud? You know, do we do we back up of information? You know, you should from a management or as a senior partner or as, as a partner with you know, don't. There's certainly people who do that, uh, probably on your behalf, but also, you know, show a little more, develop a little kind of more internal uh, awareness for yourself in terms of managing that, and that that will mm -hmm. help you kind of contribute to the uh, to, uh, to the risk management process.
Mm-hmm. You know, now that brings up a, a, an interesting point, because one of the other things that I've heard some people say is, you know, we're, we're a cloud-based firm. We use cloud-based technology to, you know, to support our clients. So in their mind, what they have communicated is they believe that the security risk is not on their firm. The security risk is on the third party, you know, application that they're using. Mm-hmm. It's their job to protect it. You know, from a insurance perspective, how do you guys think about that? Yeah, so there's some truth to that. If if the vulnerability or the data breach is on the software vendor's side, then absolutely, then you know you can say, well, oh, it's it's not me, it's 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 them. They should, you know, they should make us whole again if we suffer financial loss uh, for them, for the software vendor losing uh, uh, data or information, right? Um, but what you can't control is what if that that loss of data is comes through your channel, right? What if someone logs into through your system into that cloud-based uh, provider? You know, if you set up Dropbox or, or or iCloud or Google Drive, you know, do you is it really compartmentalized in the sense that you know if someone's on your on your on, on your hardware, can they just Extract that information. It's on the cloud. It's encrypted uh, from a Google, uh, from a Google, from a uh, from a Google perspective. But hey, you know, I know I I don't have to put a password into any folder that I access, right? Or every morning. So so what if what if what if the vulnerability is through your through your network or through your channel? Um, so so that's that's really the that that's the one part of it in terms of losing information. Um, and then, like I said, the other the other threats or some of the other threats represent more of an operational risk where it doesn't really matter, you know, it, it, the, the, the level of information or the type of information, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. If you've got a lot of information of it stored on the cloud, if you can't, if, if, if your system is down and you can't access or you can't serve your clients through ransomware or if, or if, the, mo- if the money got wired to the wrong account, okay, well, it's your money. It's not, uh, <laughs> you, you mm-hmm. need to figure that out or you need to kind of recover that. You know, and that, that brings up, you know, it made me think about a, I guess, a, a, I don't know if this is the best practice, but it is something that I, I've been thinking about more on, like you said, when you're using those cloud accounts, it's just going back and looking to see, like, how many different devices have I logged into my account from, and are all of them actually me? <laughs> yeah, so, and, and you know, the, the bigger businesses, they will alert you if you log in from a different uh, device, but you can, I mean, you can, even your bank account, you can see where and when, you know, there's a log of where and when you've kind of logged, uh, uh, logged in uh, from. So, you know, managing that, a, a key piece is multi-factor authentication, um, which means, you know, the dual authentication process. So if you log into uh, most banks have it, uh, most software tool uh, providers uh, require that uh, right now. Uh, and uh, I, w- I was listening to one of your previous uh, guests and I, I think she was talking about, you know, multi- uh, multi-factor authentications. And she was like, oh, it's actually a pretty big pain because now I've to, to sit next to the owner, and I was, uh, I was sort of, I mean, she's got a point. Um, so, but at the same time, it's like, uh, from a cyber risk perspective, I think that's a very good thing. So, <laughs> so it's, uh, it, it, it's just different objectives, right? <clears throat> but multi-factor authentication is one of the kind of main things to uh, to enable, like opt-in every single time. You know, you can, mm-hmm. um, you can, it, it, it really reduces the uh, the exposure. Um, mm-hmm. quite 
And then the other thing that which you, <clears throat> I don't know, we're kind of going down, covering quite a lot of ground here, but, uh, you know, uh, endpoint detection, basically you've got a, a bunch of different uh, devices. And so I speak with uh, a lot of professionals who say, hey, I'm working from home. Um, you know, I'm, I'm logging in through my home, home network, uh, but I'm using a VPN. Uh, I should be protected. Well, you know, the, the traffic that if you're connecting uh, remotely, that's, you know, that's private and that's uh, somewhat secure. But the actual devices aren't. So think about your uh, your home, your TV, your your laptop, your your fridge, your your Roku, or whatever. I mean, your uh, you've got a bunch of different your 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 iPhone. Those all would connect to your local network, and then by connecting through that local network, it gives them gives you access to your your laptop. So there's uh, so, so there's a huge kind of vulnerability around that. So one thing that you know will be coming over the next uh, couple of years is where insurers are asking. Hey, if you work remotely, have, you know it's not just the traffic between you and the system. It's is your is your actual device protected, and is your device analyzed for uh, for the traffic that happens into device uh, from an inter device perspective. So, and there's some cool companies who are starting to uh, to to build solutions, especially for small businesses uh, uh, that can help with uh, with that. But it's uh, that's a pretty huge growth area. So. Mm -hmm. Awesome. You know, that, that that's a really good point to keep in mind. I know even for myself, as I've been like traveling a lot more this year, yeah. some outside the U.S. And and that's always one of those things that I think about when it's just like, all right, even if I hop on this person's, you know, Wi-Fi, like in this yeah. hotel lobby that I'm in, it's just like, I don't know who else is here or who else is, you know, accessing the network. Network, right? I mean, that's the question that comes uh, in the back of my mind, too. It's like, well, uh, log on to this network you know whose network it says the hotel name on it but is it really i don't know i'm just kind of i mean it says in the brochure, brochure or whatever they're checking okay well then maybe but uh you know you, you often see a ton of different like networks that are just out there and you're like okay well which one is it so um <laughs> but yeah so so for, from that perspective you know and and you think about okay it's your it's your laptop your device that you're kind of bringing along and if it's if there's an un unwanted party that kind of gets access to it and they they're on there so if you want to you know there's there's, there's hardware out there where you can actually kind of connect through that hardware and then that hardware will monitor the traffic that uh, that comes through the uh, through the network so that's something definitely from an insurance perspective that's going to be i wouldn't i don't know if it's necessarily going to become a requirement but certainly more emphasis will be placed on that because it's going to be a vulnerability it is a vulnerability right now Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I really enjoyed the the feedback and the perspective that you shared because I do think that risk and you know professional liability, cybersecurity risk, like all those factors are things that you know people just aren't educated as much as they should be considering the reality of the the environment that we live in. I mean, with you know, work has gone more remote. Um, so as you said, cyber, you know, hackers and, and, and the, the scams have become more sophisticated than ever before. Yeah. And they're only, you know, for lack of a better term, perfecting what they do. Um, yeah. so, I mean, it, it's so important. So if people are interested in connecting with you, finding out a little bit more about you, where can they find you online? Yeah, you can check out my website at uh, myriskdesk.com um, and just you know feel free to give me a call uh, directly, um, email me. Uh, yeah, I try to respond uh, 
not the same day within 24, uh, 24 hours, you know, set up an appointment, uh, uh, consultation, more than happy to, uh, to help. Um, for those bookkeepers or lawyers who trade in a independent contractor or part-time uh, uh, capacity, we've got a program with Nationwide for the professional liability. So certainly hit me up on that. That's ptprocover.com. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, you know, I try to be uh, responsive and uh, um, I speak frequently about cyber risk and uh, professional liability and just help uh, help put together uh, insurance programs that you can have a confidence uh, in that uh, will help protect your uh, your business that you're uh, building up. Awesome. Well, before we wrap up, one question that I love asking every guest that comes on is, you know, out of, you know, all the things that you've talked about, you know, if there were two things that you wanted to say, hey, here are two yeah. things, two key takeaways that I think you should definitely remember from what we discussed. What would those two takeaways be? It's going to be on the cyber side. And the first thing is coverage is critical. Uh, so be very uh, particular and very critical about the coverage. Um, that you get when it comes to cyber uh, insurance. And then the second piece, also cyber uh, related, is you know, just recognize that cyber best practices or cyber risk management is an ongoing initiative. Don't you know, keep that, a, a, it doesn't have to be on the top of your priority list, but make sure it's, it's, it, it's, it's an item that, uh, uh, that, that's a key initiative uh, and it's, it, you, you wanna protect your business and uh, you know, it should go hand in hand with the insurance piece of it. Awesome. I love it. Well, Jock, thank you so much for being an amazing guest. It's been a pleasure having you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I've enjoyed this talk. So. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Finance and Accounting Show. If you like what you heard, don't be selfish. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and then share this with a friend because you know a business owner that could definitely use this insight. So be sure to hit that subscribe button, share it with a friend, and turn on the notification bell so you get all the updates when we release a new episode.